By the way, can I just throw in a little plug? Uh, yeah, do you need to go in the men's room for that? Or? No, From no, the no. smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. No, no, I put that in earlier. Uh. For anybody who's a boxing fan, um, there's a really good book coming out in the next couple of weeks about the history of the American heavyweight title, or the heavyweight title, which is almost always throughout the whole 20th century held by Americans. It's called The Boxing Kings uh, by Paul Beston. Okay. Really readable with all kinds of wacky anecdotes and details. Great stuff. The Boxing Kings. That sounds really interesting. I like, you know, like, like uh, true stuff. Like, what, do you, what would you call that? Nonfiction? Cold and snowy there. Well, it's the Upper Peninsula, the UP. It's not quite the Upper Peninsula. Is it not? No. It's, um, but it's about as far northwest as you can get in Michigan without being on the UP. I had no idea. I have been to the UP only once. I went to Brimley, oh, performed at the uh, Bay Mills uh, they, they Casino. Have, they have laughter on the UP? <laughs> well, they, they do when I'm there. Wow. Okay. I remember the show being good. I remember there being all these pictures of like uh, chiefs up on the wall, very somber-looking chiefs. They were very serious. They all look kind of like uh, you, know, you don't follow football, but uh, they they all they all they looked like uh, the the coach of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in like the sixty Hank Stram. Oh, I don't follow it that closely. <laughs> Well, you can kind of imagine what an NFL coach would look like in the sure, 60s. But yeah, sure. a nice email from Traverse City, uh, the home of the National Cherry Festival. And I'd like to make it to that just once before I die. You know, it's And actually, I mean right before right, I die. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that, that might be a good time. Um, you know, I mean, walking up here uh, from my house, you know, I live, what, like 16 blocks from here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if it's because it's Labor Day weekend and all the beautiful people are out of town, but it's hard to overstate the, um, the general decrepitude and, like, sort of human misery I encountered just, just walking up here. Uh-huh. Um, you know, all the people out there who sort of have this idea that uh, Manhattan is just for the rich and only rich and famous people live here. Uh-huh. I invite you to stroll up Eighth Avenue in the in the twenties and thirties uh, any day, any time. Uh, it's about as miserable and bleak a perspective <laughs> of human being that you could ever get anywhere. Well, that is something else. I had no idea. I, mean, I, I when I'm standing out in front of this building, uh, watching women go by, they're beautiful. There's so many beautiful women. I've seen. I mean, like, uh, it's a treat. I consider it a treat. Now, maybe it's just once you get to, you know, above 34th Street, it starts to clear up. What what, what is along there? I'm trying to know. As I recall, if you're walking up 8th Avenue, you know, you're passing reputable businesses, a barbecue place. There's Dallas Barbecue on 23rd. I mean, maybe I'm just in a morbid frame of mind, but did did you ever read Day of the Locust? It, it kind of really <laughs> reminded like to, me of... Um, I'd like to have this discussion without showcasing my uh, lack of... Uh, okay, well, know. they made a movie of it, too. <laughs> it was just a real, like... Um, it was kind of like, uh, you know, like the human zoo. It was just every grotesque... Um, every grotesquerie. So may, I, I think it may be the day, because it's... it's uh, we're, we're we're here on the second, the third. It's it's the it's Labor Day weekend, I guess. Right, and right. you know what? It's just, it's been a horrible weekend. 
Uh, I mean, much worse, I guess, for Texas than here. Yes. But we have uh, rain, a lot of rain, a lot of cold. It feels like fall. I'm ready for the fall after this. I think, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm prepared. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'd like to leave the summer behind, leave behind the idea of even going to the beach. Didn't go, but I want to leave the idea of it behind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't go to the beach. In fact, I didn't really go anywhere all summer except to, um, um, you know, down Florida. Down to Florida. Yeah, just took a little trip to Florida, but I understand. It's, uh, you know, this. I, I, I wish I could see the people on your walk, uh, and I think you, you may be what? right. If you're a- it, after sometime. we're done here, we can we can do it. <laughs> look, we, it's all the people who. Look, here's the thing. A lot of it is not people from Manhattan. A lot of it's, uh, you know, it's past Penn Station, so you get a lot of that kind of element of people coming in and out of the city. Um, you know, then there was a, a fair number of crazy homeless people I saw. Mm. A lot of, like, elderly kind of, you know, women who are sort of uh, hobbling around in sweatpants. And maybe they haven't, like, re- re-peroxided their hair in a few months or whatever. And mm-hmm. Yeah, letting themselves go. Let it, you know, there's just a lot of that. Uh, you know, look, I, I'm, I tend to try to be sympathetic to, um, you know, we're all in the same position. We're all hurtling rapidly towards utter decay, <laughs> but you know, it, yeah, some, sure. sometimes, sometimes I guess I feel a little acerbic. Yeah, well, hey, that's welcome here. I think uh, one thing is, and and not to like, I don't want to beat a dead horse, which by the way is a very morbid expression. Also, I mean, all you're doing is talking a little too long about one subject, and you're comparing it to <laughs> whipping a dead thing right, past it right. past its death. You know. Uh, the, the presumption being you've already beaten it to death and now, you know, like, uh, not that you found it that way and you just are sure. taking out some shit. Like, you know, you pass the uh, Chelsea, uh, the, the projects there. Well, the, for um, one thing. Yeah. Then uh, the Penn, Chelsea projects Penn, are not, you know, Brooklyn projects, but they're projects. Well, I didn't pass the pro. I passed Penn South, which is really um, not, it's middle income, it's middle income housing. It's Penn always, South. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, we but it's government subsidized. It's like no, no, it's not. It's, it's not. like eight hundred dollars a month or something. Yes, to live but there. it's a um, it's called what it's what's called a limited equity co-op. So you get on a waiting list. I think you have to make a certain income, mm. and you um, you're allowed to buy in. Or the thing is, you when mean you, not make a certain income? Not make a certain income. <laughs> but um, no, but you, I think there is like a minimum income you have to make. And then it's not owned by the government. It's not run by the government. Okay. Um, it's like a mutual. It's like a co-op, but when you can't sell, you can't sell it for like what the market rate is. You're you're capped at how much you can, s- and you sell it back to the, to the co-op. Fascinating. Now we're talking about the one right there on Twenty Fifth, right? Yeah, that, where okay. we were sitting the other day. Now, do you know? Uh, I, I what, do you know the name of that place? What is it called again? Penn South. Penn South. Okay. Uh, separate from that. Over on Ninth Avenue, yes, there's projects there. There's the Chelsea Elliott houses. Yes, now, uh, and that you... is a NYCHA development, which means that it, yes, that's classic public housing. It's owned by NYCHA, technically by the city, I guess. You know, the federal government mm-hmm. has some interest in it. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, Housing sure. Authority, New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA. Yeah, uh, do you know who there's? There's actually a very famous resident there. It's Esau Garner. The widow of Eric Garner lives oh, over it, right no over kidding. there. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. So wait. Um, she was moved there from Staten Island by the city. Oh, after his death. After his death, and uh, 
which I don't know why, but um, that's that's where they moved her. And after she got that millions of dollars in the settlement, oh, did she? She okay. uh, did got she? she still gets to stay because it's not that doesn't count for no, income, no, it doesn't. you know. It doesn't. And uh, yeah, no, nor should it. It's uh, I guess, but it's most people would choose, I think, to move out to upgrade. But I guess she likes it there. And so uh, you know, our yeah. neighbor. You know what's funny uh, at the D- at the Democratic National Convention last year. I don't know if you recall this, but they had this one day where they had um, I can't remember what they called it, like the, the 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 day of the mothers or the angels or something. And they had Eric Garner's mother and Mike Brown's mother and um, Sandra Bland's mother and Trayvon <laughs> yes. Martin's mother. Yes, I did see that. They they all come together for the first time. Where were all the dads? <laughs> You mean where? <laughs> Gee, uh, you know, that's a good question. They probably were, I bet they were home DVRing the show. <clears throat> no question. Yeah, I, I would think something like now, that. Did these or... interviews, uh, were, were they in, enlightening or did you did you get to watch? Uh, I think they all just stood on the stage. I think they were all wearing white, I guess, to symbolize like purity, purity and the angelic... Uh, you know the fact that their their children were now angels. We're now um, angels, yes. Um, yeah, because I mean uh, the, the the parents of angels uh, wear white. Always. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I don't <laughs> really remember what they had to say. I'm sure whatever it was, it was really inspirational. I, I bet it was, and um, you know, hopefully someday someone will set it to music. Uh, right. Now, uh, uh, I have uh, a, what a crazy uh, week uh, we have here uh, in New York City crime. And I'm not going to start with the most like crazy story. No, 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 no. We got to build up. So a fearless thief made off with nearly fourteen thousand dollars worth of cash and prizes from a West Twenty Fifth Chelsea Nuga Church and a goddamn synagogue on West Thirty Fourth. Uh, the first one was four ten p.m. The West Side Jewish Center, three forty seven West Thirty Fourth, between Eighth and Ninth Avenues, four ten. June 26, the twenty seven year old man's laptop bag stolen. It was a grab bag worth. One, uh, excuse me, $3,800. Uh, number two, the suspect, believed to be 50 to 60, six to seven weeks later, August 18th, 343 West 25th, okay. between 8th and 9th, 11.45 a.m., St. Columba, third floor, $1,000, two laptops, a Sony camera, and a computer monitor before taking off on foot. That's what he made off with. Total value of that haul, 10000 $198 for a grand total of $13,998 in cash and prizes. Wow. And he's wearing the same shirt for both robberies. What was the shirt? It's like a, uh, not a button-up shirt, but like a knit shirt. Like a, Yeah. Yeah, I could show it to you. But it's a, it's a blue stripe and a collar. Is that like his, um, his favorite, his lucky shirt? <laughs> it must be because he is doing pretty good. Every time he wears it, he gets about seven grand. Wow. And in robberies, how did, did, is, I assume there's footage or security camera footage. There is. You don't have to show it. Show it. I'm just curious. Is that how they know what shirt he was wearing? Yes, that's how they know. Oh, I see. Here's, uh, yeah, you, you see the shirt is not. Uh, it's, 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 it looks like the shirt that you've had, uh, you know, since your 20s, uh, and, and you yeah. just hold on to What's it. What's that on top of his head? It's a hat. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I thought maybe he was wearing um, to like um, to fill in. You know, like Jews, um, like they tie the box to their head when they pray. Well, it's just a cap. No, I see. They tie a box to their head. Well, they tie in the morning. You um, you have like 
some leather straps and there's a box with some scrolls in it and you um, tie it on your head just for a few minutes. But uh, it kind of, I thought maybe he was, that was his, um, his rude, his disguise to get into the synagogue. Now, what do they, uh, what, what sorts of things are uh, written on these scrolls? It doesn't really matter too much, but what, what's the result of this? Is it just a prayer or something like that? Yeah, it, yeah, okay, yeah. just just a religious when observance. When you say your morning prayers, yeah, they, uh, you, you put these, you tie these, um, Straps and the box to your head. Well, one to ten. How Jewish do you have to be to, to be, do to do that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'd say it's got to be an eight. Yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty up there. Well, uh, elsewhere in New York City, a thirty-three-year-old New York woman had rosary beads stuffed down her throat, and she died. Police responded to a call. A woman was having difficulty breathing, which is understandable. Yes. Uh, when offices, uh, officers arrived, they found the woman unconscious and unresponsive in a hallway. She was rushed to a hospital, didn't survive. An hour earlier, a man... And by the way, can I just say... Yes, please. Rosary beads down the throat is... I don't know what you have to... What sin is that's the penance for, but it's... That's to me, is pretty severe. I hope it was something fun. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, is it clear that it was actually like a penance <laughs> prescribed by a priest? Well, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but uh, my, my presumption uh, that I'm pretending to have is that. Let's listen to the, uh, I guess this is PIX11 coverage of this. Uh, okay. No, CBS New York. And uh, to do it the good old-fashioned way of holding the mic up to the speaker. That works. At Touro College, students from all walks of life join together to obtain the best... This is one of those really annoying kind, too, where it says it'll resume in 30 seconds. That's good. I don't mind skipping an ad after five seconds, but this, I, I'm definitely... To, I feel to watch a whole one. I very much feel held hostage by this, yes. Well, you can't change the channel. You can't change the channel? You're kind you, of you a can, captive. You can mute it, but, you know... Yeah, if ever there were a question of devotion, worth doing anything for your children. These parents standing on this chilly. If there's ever a question of devotion, <laughs> stuffing rosary beads down your throat until you choke. They will do anything to keep you from watching the same video twice or something. I don't know what that is. I went back and reloaded the page, and it still like had moved on. Now we got to do this before. Now we got to do this again. This must be for the Caribbean Day Parade, is it? I don't think so. Oh. No, this looks a little more tame. This is uh, children dancing on oh, a stage. Salsa, salsa dancing. Okay. So, yes. Learn social dancing. Man, I don't want to learn it from those people. Here we are. And rosary beads. In a minute. To the other news of the night and a gruesome and bizarre scene in an apartment building in the Bronx. Police discovered the body of 33-year-old Helen Hernandez, a mother of three, with rosary breeds shoved down her throat. Eyewitness News reporter Joe Torres is live in the High Bridge section with the very latest on the investigation. Joe. It was a bit of a Tom, Tom Brokaw there, wasn't it? Rosary breeds. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, this right here is the memorial for Helen Hernandez, right outside the apartment building where she lived and died. Still no official cause of death, but rosary beads in her throat. So far, no explanation for what would possibly possess someone to do that. 
he was not only naked, but police say the boyfriend of Helen Hernandez was also yelling about the devil last night. Police found him, subdued him with a taser, and then took him to a Bronx hospital for a medical evaluation at his apartment this afternoon. Can you respect my family like I respect yours? No comment. Police say the 34-year-old has a lengthy criminal record that includes 42 arrests, but investigators wow. have not charged him with Hernandez's death. An autopsy will determine how the 33-year-old died. Investigators say when they found Hernandez in a hallway inside her Highbridge apartment building yesterday, the mother of three boys had rosary beads lodged in her throat. I'm going to say she choked on rosary beads. That seems like a plausible explanation. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not thinking that she was trying to swallow them to hide them or get rid of them right. or that she accidentally spread them onto a sandwich or something. Uh, so that pretty much leaves, uh, you know, someone stuffing them down her throat. Now her boyfriend, naked, obviously on drugs, talking about how she had gone to God and... Uh, and, and walking and, down the street with his arms out in the cruciform. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, the cruciform, or, you know, like a tightrope kind of deal. Sure. But I, I'm going to say you're right, because he was doing no teetering at all. He was, for a guy on drugs, he had a very straight walk. What's interesting about this case is if you heard about it and you didn't know any of the details, you would think, wow, this sounds like one of those mysterious kind of um, something like the Da Vinci Code, like a very complicated cultic murder involving hidden knowledge and like secret organizations deep within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, it just turns out to be like a lunatic on PCP. <laughs> That's exactly it in the Boogie D, a Boogie D death of a Boogie D oddity. But... Uh, that, uh, now, rosary beads. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I like the way when the reporter was knocking on his mother's door, uh -huh. the, the presumed killer, and she said, please go away and respect my family the way I respect yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. What have you done to respect my family lately? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I like the demeanor of the, the yeah. old guy who's like, uh, where she lived and died. Right. There, there's another 10 seconds of this. I wonder Let's if they watch. say anything else. Every time I seen her, whether she was walking up the hill, taking them to school, or down the hill when they used to go down the hill, or wherever. You remember when they used to go down the hill? Up the hill, like Jack and Jill. They're going up the hill now. <laughs> yeah, right. to search for fingerprints. You think he's going to snort everything on that mm, door? Probably. Outside the building, family members, too distraught to talk on camera, placed flowers. Those are candles. Remember their loved one. It's something that you will never, ever really recover from, and... For this to happen is just really, really unfortunate. 48 hours, I still haven't recovered. No. Investigators tonight anxious to question Hernandez's boyfriend, who, by the way, lived right across the street from where we're located, but he remains under sedation. At an anxious to question. Investigators tonight anxious to question Hernandez's boyfriend, who, by the way, lived right across the street from where we're located, but he remains under sedation. And he's under sedation. Well, uh... What do you think? I mean... Uh, I think they're going to um, wake him up <laughs> eventually and charge him with murder. Yeah. He probably either strangled her and then shoved them down her throat or shoved them down her throat and she choked on them. Well, she was still sort of alive 
when they found her. Oh, is that so? Yeah. This is very interesting. This is a quote from uh, somebody who's known her for six years, Martha Casacchio. Um Before anyone says anything that is bad about her, regardless of her ups and downs in life, she was a beautiful person and she was always with her boys. The hell's hmm. That's a very passive-aggressive uh, preface on that sentence. Well, I guess so, yeah, because... I don't think anyone was saying anything bad about her. As far as mm -hmm. I could tell, she was purely a, a victim of murder. Suddenly I'm curious, though. I know. Well, what, yeah. do, you, what do you mean, Mrs. What's her name? Casacchio. Casacchio. Listen, Casacchio. You, you, would you mind elaborating? <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to say anything bad about her, but, you know, because she was always with her boys, but she <sighs> yeah. had so many men going in. She was, she had so many men going in and out, you could not... She was loose. Yeah, I wonder where they were, um, where she was going with that. I don't know, but uh, they—they've been. Uh, here's a quote uh, from her. She says, "I just know that uh, she was dating him for what they call a minute now, and they were trying to keep her away from him." Uh huh. But we don't know what happened. Yes, yeah, so it was nice for her to clarify. And and and, and uh, you know, if if you're gonna use if you're gonna use a term and then have to kind of you know, sort of soft pedal it like that. She's yeah. clearly not comfortable with the slang, but... Uh, or she could have just said, I just know that they were dating for a little while. Mm -hmm. Or they'd only been together for a short time. It's for what they call a minute now. Yeah, I kind of feel like this woman's all about herself. Like, she's sort of insinuating that the victim had this loose past. She had the gossip. And then she's... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I get the same feeling from her, yeah. And they were trying to keep her away from him. Who? Who the, uh, they were trying to keep her away from? Uh, yeah, but who were trying to keep her away from him? Oh wow, you know, good question. Who was that? Uh, her family, I guess, her <sighs> friends. Here's what I've discovered: sure. you date certain women, yeah, you have a committee that they go to to you know run shit about you yes. by them and yes. find out if it's okay. Right now, it's never okay. Right, and depending on what they think of you, which is never good. Women with committees, you know, it's very complicated. So. Uh, well, it's kind of it's kind of like crabs in a bucket. <laughs> like they don't they don't want anyone escaping. Mm. Yes, and uh, the way I see it, if I'm not fucking these women, I don't have to make them happy, right? You know, but but your girlfriend will not see it that way. I'm talking to talking to my friends out there. How are you? Hope you're well. Now in Bryant Park. Oh my God! I don't know if you heard about this. Bryant Park was the scene of a double beheading. As yeah. a man described by the Post as a raving lunatic beheaded two pigeons before proclaiming he was a vampire and guzzling their oh, blood. Jesus fucking Christ. To the horrors of others in the park. Uh, yeah, it's a true story. He was holding up the pigeons and drinking their blood, letting the blood drip down his shirt, recalled shocked onlooker, onlooker Dominic D. He says he did it twice. He's 32, Dominic D, by the way. He was covered in blood. He said he was a vampire. It was pretty disgusting. I'd say that this is uh, definitely going to sort of bring down the sex value of vampirism as a theme. Uh, it should. Because this is not a sexy crime. Doesn't uh, sound it. He, but, but you know what? The guy does says, Dominique says, uh, in, in discussing this from the witness uh, statement, he said it was, it was pretty disgusting. Yeah. Was the way he put it. I thought, what would it take... To upgrade that to, yeah, actually very disgusting. Thoroughly disgusting. Maybe if he just ate his ass. <laughs> just ate the pigeon's ass. What's amazing about this story is 
I mean, when you walk around the city, and I, I, I was, I, I was thinking this just when I was walking up here because there are all these pigeons around, and, um, I mean, the whole thing about pigeons is they're so docile, but then they move out of the way, and sometimes you think, gee, I wonder if I could catch one of those, and, like, nobody ever like, you know, we just kind of ignore each other, pigeons and people, mm-hmm. but um. I think I, in the back of my mind, I've always thought, well, no, you really couldn't catch one. Like they would just fly away. Well, so, we can't. We can't. But a vampire <laughs> okay. can. So this guy has really put the lie to that. That yeah, if you want to, you can just like stomp on them, grab them, rip their heads off, <laughs> um, upend them and upend their decapitated body into your mouth and just drink the blood. <laughs> Do that, and then when you drop the head, as is demonstrated in the story too, uh, the pigeons will come and, and peck at it and eat it. Is that what happened? Yeah, they they snacked on the head. Oh, Jesus I mean, Christ. The, the post put it that they, they came to mourn, but uh, we all know what was really yeah, going right. on. Is yeah. that what they said? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, uh, somebody put it well, up. Well, it is true. Like, in, in those cockfighting videos I got, um, the first thing... <laughs> is this the Time Life cock, cockfighting <laughs> series? Kind of. Um, you, will, you will notice that when a cock is killed... The first thing the victor does is go and peck out its eyes. Why the eyes? I think it's like a, um, it's, you know, some kind of, uh... Oh, I know what it must be. What? Some sort of, an, uh, like, a natural adaptation, because uh, in case he's just stunned, at least when he hops up, he'll be blind. You know, that, that could be, that could be it. I was thinking it's just like some kind of, you know, total victory. Like, I'm going to humiliate the corpse. <laughs> but probably pit chickens don't have that kind of um well I don't know anyway that's what they do oh, I hope I hope right now we are not you know uh, metaphorically poking the eyes out of a dead rooster here that see that would be another expression that would be similar to beating a dead horse but uh, with the it take has many more syllables and it's not as good my favorite equine metaphor like you know regarding be- instead of not beating a dead horse but I like the idea of um a horse of a different color. Well, I knew this guy, and his mother retired, and she moved to Cyprus, and she took up with all these Brits who lived there, who would rescue donkeys and like take care of them. Because basically, what the locals would do is, once a donkey was like of no use anymore, they would like bring it into like a stream and break its legs, and just let it like drown there. Wow. So, so I like the idea of like um, breaking a donkey's legs <laughs> as like my favorite kind of expression. But, th- but that would mean like sort of uh, maybe if you had a relationship that was just hanging on and uh, it was time to move on, you would break right. the donkey's legs. Yeah, break the donkey's legs. I think they would break the donkey's legs or they would just like push them off of cliffs. So anyway, so all these time like... Time to push that donkey off a all cliff. All these like British expat animal lovers would salvage these um these donkeys and like you know like feed them and take care of them and stuff and put I them guess on all, wheels i guess all the all the <laughs> cypriots were just like thought they were idiots probably but well let me see if i can recall how that story began it's a friend of yours whose mother went to cyprus yes took up with some brits yes who used to raise donkeys rescue donkeys rescue donkeys okay yeah sorry they were, <laughs> donkey rescue cyprus right. that's uh, the new show Hey, uh, there is a new exciting show called Street Justice, The Bronx. I hope you guys check it out. It is Ralph Friedman, the most decorated NYPD detective 
in the history of the NYPD and his new show, Street Justice, The Bronx. What channel is it on? It's on Discovery, and it starts September 19th. Wow. At 9 p.m. And it's it's an interesting show. It's because it's it looks to be kind of like reenactments, and, and it also has his stories. So it's his stories are true, and his narration, which is also, you know, obviously true, uh, based on the stories. And then there's, like, the reenactment, uh, and then it's a him as a young guy. Uh, he's 68 years old now. But now to meet him, the fucker is like, I, I've said it before, he's like granite. He's like, uh, it's like shaking hands with some, like, like a circus freak who's made out of stone. Uh, is he Jewish? He is Jewish. Weird to think that the most highly decorated NYPD detective is a Jewish guy. Well, let me tell you something. I disagree because uh, Jews are so often superlative in so many fields uh, that I say, you know what? That does not. And, and besides, you know, Jewish people here in New York City and elsewhere, I'm sure, like Israel, very, very tough. They can yeah. be very tough. Oh, sure. No, I, I'm tough not Tough negotiators. Saying, no, no, I know. But it's just not, it's not the. Because um, they value a dollar, you know. Well, it's not the field. Like policing isn't traditionally been a major um like Jewish dominated field, so I'm just surprised that it's a Jew who became the most decorated. You're, yeah, I see what you mean. It'd be like if, if a I Jew mean, had the most uh, you know points in the NBA or something. Well, I was thinking the most hat tricks in the NHL. Or <laughs> Much more likely. That might actually think, be true. I don't think so. There've been some great Jewish baseball players. There's been some pretty good Jewish basketball players too. I mean, mostly in the 30s and 40s. Mm. Pistol Pete Maravich was he? No. He was like Serbian or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy was drinking pigeon blood. I am. Um, I, I now, as I started to look at this, I thought maybe that would be a way if the if there were enough vampires who feasted on pigeon blood to kind of control the pigeon population, just keep it. Because look, I don't like them everywhere either. No. I think the more of them there are, though, the easier they do become to kill because they get more comfortable and they get more careless and they start thinking right. these people don't mean me any harm and then here comes this guy now i had a friend who was in the navy he was stationed in the bay area and uh, he once had this uh, urge because he saw a couple sitting on a park bench and there was a pigeon near and he thought he could do it and he ran up and he stomped a pigeon dead oh my god he just stomped it dead is your friend that's also a way of like telling a story um, quickly <laughs> does he like does he like fire does he like fire? <laughs> it sounds like, you know. He was a fireman. He was an oh, e, really? he was an E three or an mm. E five, whichever one is a fireman in the navy. He, um, yeah, he he did a lot of uh, welding of uh, shit pipes on ships. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like he would have to wade into shit water and turds up to you know his hips. I, I you know, here's the thing. Um, Bedwetting. He never was the same after that. Pyromania and animal cruelty are like. The three, like in childhood, mm. are like three major predictors for like adult violence, like being a serial killer or something like that. Oh boy! Well, my wife has two out of three. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time she grows up, I'll be dead. <laughs> right. Let's well, face you it. Know. Yeah, it happens. Um, this sounds really uh, like a crazy thing to do. But oh, what I wanted to say about pigeons. Is there's some town? Maybe you could look this up. In I think it's in Pennsylvania, mm. and they have this long time tradition. Like they have an annual pigeon shoot, and I think maybe it, they've it's been um, closed down. But 
even a few years ago, like they would come, people would come to New York City with a van, jump out, and like, you know, throw a net over like fifty pigeons, and then jump back in the van, and then they bring them out to this town and like they let them go, and everybody just shoots the pigeons. Look up pigeon shoot. That's what I did. Pennsylvania clings to prison shoot. This is from June. This is from June of this year. Yeah. Pennsylvania clings. Okay, and this See, is I from uh, this I is from you. the uh, what Philly Voice. Uh, okay. See, this is what I hate: is stories that start off like this. Heidi Prescott has fought to ban live pigeon shoots for nearly twenty-five years. No stage, no state has staged a bigger battle than Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the only state where pigeon shoots are openly and regularly practiced. Uh, she said uh, she's a senior vice president of campaigns at the Humane Society of the United States. Other states may have one a year. Uh, and when I say other states, they're very rare. So okay. there's a small number of states that would even do this, and they only do it annually. Uh, but uh, Pennsylvania, apparently, now legislation to outlaw pigeon shoots repeatedly has been introduced to the General Assembly since 1987, but it repeatedly has failed to gain the requisite support to prohibit an activity that's nearly vanished elsewhere in the United States. Okay, so what is the deal? What's the problem? They're, they're rats. They're winged rats. They're pests. Nobody owns a pigeon unless they're going to do a magic trick uh, or uh, take it into a, a meeting and bite its head off or something uh, for fun, uh, and which would be a dove. Well, some people be better. them on, um, you know, they have... Uh, oh, on the... On the yes, oh, no, coops on the roof. People do that. I've seen it in movies. Yeah. It usually symbolizes somebody who's lonely. Right. Doesn't like Mike Someone Ty- who... doesn't Mike Tyson raise pigeons? <laughs> then it's the best Enough thing ever. Said. Enough said. <laughs> well, there was a guy doing it in a movie, uh, one of those uh, what do you call it, Marlon Brando kind of movies, uh, maybe on yeah, the waterfront yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, no, you're right. It's used in films to 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 communicate something about the um the character. Now, like 25 pigeon shoots were held in 2016. In, in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yeah. Um, so how see many? If you find out if they come to New York City and um, and collect them. <laughs> oh, I don't. Surely they must have. They don't have pigeons. They they don't. They have to bring them into the town. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The, the, oh fuck! I completely missed that. I thought you meant they would just go to where the pigeons are and round them up. But I didn't know you mean like they would go out of town for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they would come here. Oh, I thought you just like they were hunting Is and it... and like steal our pigeons to bring them back there because you know here, look, you throw some feed on the ground, all of a sudden you've got like three hundred pigeons. They're probably pretty easy to um, throw a net on them. By feed, you mean anything that is food? Yeah, uh, and uh, it's like P- seagulls. Pigeon eyes. Now during such shoots, what happens? Live pigeons are placed into spring-loaded boxes <laughs> and propelled into the air at the shooter's command. The shooter then fires at them from a distance of about 30 yards. Hundreds of birds are wounded or killed. But the ones that get away, you know? I mean, you're spring-loaded. If they don't hit you, you're free, right? You got an even shot. You get a, you get a head start, 30-yard head start. What's funny, you know what's interesting? Um, the author, John Le Carre, who wrote, like, the spy, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I'm familiar with the works of John Le Carre. Okay, so I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Anyway, so he has this new book out. Well, it came out last year called, um, it's like a sort of a memoir type thing. It's called The Pigeon Tunnel. And he talks about some hotel uh, in France on the coast where they would, like, 
one of the things the guests could do is sit out with guns and they would put pigeons into a tunnel and they would fly out through the tunnel on into the you know and then you would shoot at them off the cliff but i guess the really like sad and sinister thing was that the pigeons had been trained to return to the front of the tunnel so if they were if you missed shooting them they would just come back and go in for another go mm. okay so that's so. kind of like the uh, the poignant part of it what a tragedy. The pigeon tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's like an allegory of sorts for something. You know what? I This is a little off topic, but, but you know, since we're talking about, uh, you know, books, movies, uh, I'm going to extend it to movies. Because sure. it was a movie made it. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. What do you, it, is the ending to you, you know, you, we all recall the ending. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, then uh, I'll spoil it for you. Good. Uh, Jack Nicholson has a lobotomy, and he can't speak. He can't really. He's just a shadow of his former self. And the chief, who uh, a deaf and dumb Indian, who he's befriended, decides not, not really deaf and dumb. Exactly, thought to be deaf and dumb through much of the movie, uh, suffocates him with a pillow, and then he picks up a water fountain that Jack Nicholson's character, R.P. McMurphy, had tried to throw through a window earlier. He throws it through the window, and he makes his escape uh, over the prairie. So uh, what do you, that ending for you, is that uplifting? Is it depressing? Uh, what's it do for you? Well, it's so your the, the emotional content of the scene is so driven by that song, mm. by the music that's going over, which just, you know. That does change your... You remember that? Nice, yeah. <laughs> and then it like, kind of like builds to this great crescendo when he throws it through the window. So obviously you're supposed to feel like it's this tremendous yes. triumph and vanquishing. There's like an, of, there's like an Indian kind of a thing yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 very much. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it, that's true. Well, I mean, that's an interesting scene. See, the, the, thing, the, the thing that really gets me about One Foot with the Cuckoo's Nest is where, so McMurphy, that's his name, like mm. he's been fighting t- to get everybody like their rights. And then it turns out they're all there voluntarily. Yes. So, so, I mean, that's kind of like the real ending to me. Like that, you know, the rest, yeah, sure. It's, you know, that's kind of the tragedy and then whatever. But uh, the fact that everybody could just leave. Yeah. That, that they're there being being but harassed he, and tortured. And yeah. he doesn't even know that. He So he's like putting himself on the line to... Um, right. He thinks they're all in the same boat. Right. But he's sticking his neck out for a bunch of people who could just <laughs> leave any time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, are, they're probably paying a lot of money to be in there or something, Maybe. you know? And, uh, like, uh, you know, Harding's trying to avoid his wife, I guess, because right. she's a, right, she's a right. ball buster and she's out doing everything she wants to do. Cheswick, I don't know his deal. But, yeah, a couple of them are. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, he's, he was transferred from prison. Right. Uh, and he was trying to just, like, have a lighter place to do it. Boy, what a huge error that was. Very bad. Nothing, uh, because uh, he thought he was out in, in 30 days or 60 days, and that's how he found out was from the guy in the tub room. He's like, nah, Jack Murphy. And he tells him that, uh, no, you are ours until we say you can go. Right. And that was obviously going to be never. Right. And he is doomed. So then he starts sort of trying to kiss uh, Nurse Ratchet's ass for a little right. while. And he can't do it. No. So what do you? So the ending. What's your final ruling on it? Uplifting uh, the song uh, and everything. Or, I guess or? it's kind of like it's like supposed to be the victory of the human spirit. Like the chief escapes. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't even, was the chief there voluntarily? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was committed. They mentioned he was committed, yeah. Okay. Uh, so sure, he had look, to be there. I mean, you're glad that, you know, I guess it's sad, I mean, that he had to kill McMurphy. Well, you know, he killed McMurphy, uh, but McMurphy was already dead. Yeah. And so, to me, I think it's a, I, I've always thought it was kind of a bummer ending in a lot of ways. Because he hated his, McMurphy's this great character. He's filled with life. You don't want to see him like all fucked up and dead. Right. So then I realized, no, it's a very, very uplifting ending. It's a very powerful ending because they, you know, because they couldn't break him and they had to do that. They were going to do it and that's what they had to do. They had to physically cut his brain up. Right. He could not be just broken through like you working on my brain. Yeah. So that I like. You know what I mean? And and that's I think the the inspirational part of it. Sure. No, I'm with you. I've never thought of it that way before about about a week ago. And then I was just talking to my wife about it and like that came out of my mouth. I never had thought about it even. Mm. You ever just say things? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, did you catch that? I mean, we probably did we already talk about the Mayweather fight? No, we didn't. Okay, well Or did we? Maybe we did. We must have. But it was did the we day talk after. To- well, I don't remember, but if we did, uh, I should remember this, right? It was on the last episode, most recent episode. I I don't think we did some. Oh. Okay, well, what did you did you enjoy the fight? It was pretty good. I, yeah, so I don't have a lot to say about it. it, it the, my sort of uh, stock joke that I've been using is that it's, it, it's, it was very much like watching a boxer who's, you know, uh, 40 years old, who has uh, never been defeated, fighting a feral animal. <laughs> Right. I got the sense then. Did did I see McGregor? I know he was behind him a lot. Yeah. Did he at one time bite Mayweather's leg? I could have sworn I saw him trying to pull off Mayweather's boot. Right. It was an odd uh, display. But, you know, I mean, like, uh, didn't you get the sense the whole time he was just carrying him along? Like, you know what? I mean, like, I'm not really trying here. It was a little bit of a -a rope-a-dope type scenario. Yeah, but, I mean, like, he wasn't fooling anybody. Uh, no. By the way, can I just throw in a little plug? Uh, yeah, do you need to go in the men's room for that? Or no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I put that in earlier. Uh. No, no, this is for um, no. Uh, if anybody who's a boxing fan, um, there's a really good book coming out in the next couple of weeks about the history of the American heavyweight title or the heavyweight title, which is almost always throughout the whole 20th century held by Americans. It's called The Boxing Kings uh, by. My managing editor at City Journal, Paul Beston. Okay. Uh, really readable, great stuff. So if you're interested in the history of the heavyweight, with all kinds of wacky anecdotes and details, The Boxing Kings. And it's not out yet. Huh? It's not out yet, but it'll be out very soon. Well, make sure and remind us when it does, because that sounds really interesting. I like, yeah. it's, I like, you know, like uh, true stuff. Like, what, do you, what would you call that? Nonfiction, I guess. Yeah. That's written about stuff that you don't really think about because it's so big. Right. Like uh, I read a book about uh, poker called uh, Cowboys Up, I believe it was called. It was and it was talks about the history of poker. You know how it originated? It started off with ga- like gambling. I guess started off with with like they were trying to decipher what the hell was going to happen weather wise. Okay. So predict the weather and maybe other stuff along the way. They started like uh, you know they would throw things 
on the ground. And if they would come out a certain way, they would go, oh, this means this. You know, right. they, they would have to have some, you know, really smart person uh, interpret it for them. And then it became bones, you know, because, like, they wanted to permanent and make, make them permanent and uniform and kind of would last. A bucket of pigeon heads. So, yeah, exactly. So they would throw these things on the ground to figure out what was going to happen with the weather. And uh, and then they start sort of, I guess, placing some wagers on it. Mm. Like, I think it's going to be sunny tomorrow. Okay. You know, and they would do that. And then the bones for practicality, eventually start to become things like, uh, I don't know, like, like little small tapestries and stuff. And I think that was uh, maybe in China, but this is like going all the way back to the beginning. And then, you know, around cowboy days or whatever, I mean, like as time goes on, they're playing five card draw, mm-hmm. but, but all the suits and everything got formalized, you know, by, uh, you know, people in Europe and shit like that who, uh, and it took time, you know, I mean, sure. it all developed over time. Uh, it's not like Monopoly, where it just all came out at once. Right, right, Poker, right. it's called Cowboys Up. And, uh, you know, Truman was a big card player in the five-card stud days. Harry Truman, really? There's always one big... He played in the service a lot, played in the Army, or Navy, or whatever it was. It might have been on a ship. But they there's always one very popular poker game, and then and, and it goes on for a while. You know what I mean? It's not like the style's changing all the time. Okay. So it was five-card draw, I guess, or five-card, uh, straight five-card poker. Yeah. And then it was five-card stud, and then it was seven-card stud. So, like, five-card stud throughout most, a lot, probably the first half of the 20th century. Seven-card stud maybe in the 60s, 70s. And then, of course, Texas hold them, which is... Uh, Texas hold them? Tex- <laughs> Texas hold them. <laughs> Uh, we have an MMA guy robbed a fucking bank. And, uh, you know, he's not a very good fighter, by the way. Six and nine is his record. I'll, re- I'll read you the lead from the post. He holds a six and nine record as a fighter, 0 and 1 as a bank robber. Oh, dear. The MMA fighter busted for swiping more than 45000 from Queen City Bank, less than a block from where he lives. Sergio the Savage Da Silva. Seems like you shouldn't rob a bank right near where you live because they're going to see you walking by the next day. <laughs> right. Yeah. You may be a familiar face around the neighborhood. Right. Uh, he. Uh, well, that's why. He, maybe that's why he told her this. He said, "Don't look at me. I have a gun. I will shoot you. Give me your money if you don't want to get." Okay. Uh, he, this is what he allegedly snarled. If you don't want to get shot, so he's really emphasizing the gun aspect. Yeah. And a story about he made off with forty five thousand nine hundred sixty four dollars. Wow! Yeah, unheard of. Because we've talked about this before that usually they get like eleven hundred dollars, maybe eight hundred bucks. Maybe they don't get anything. Right. It's really yeah, you're right. And that's that. This was startling. Forty five thousand nine hundred and sixty four dollars. Wow. Yeah, nearly forty six thousand uh, dollars. And 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 they are. Uh, and they're really, really ridiculing him there uh, quite a bit, which uh, I guess you know he's a bank robber. Why not? Uh, yeah. Uh, but he seems pretty tough. I mean, does it look to you like they might have like stuck a head onto a smaller body there? Because uh, the post will do that sometimes. Well, I think part of it's the angle, but yeah, I mean, he's a frightening-looking guy. He's no Chris Hansen. No. <laughs> that queer. <laughs> Um, this guy is, uh, you know, he probably had no idea he was going to get $45,000. Well, uh, he probably didn't. I mean, how could he predict it? But he, he definitely said, I want more money. Oh, really? Like he got money and then he's like, give it me says, more. Give me more money. He goes, yeah, I have a gun. I will shoot you. Give me more money if you don't want to get shot. 
Jeez. Give me more money if you don't want to get shot. Give me more money. <laughs> if you don't want to get shot. I mean, is that just the, the statement of the id or what? Give me more money. Um, this guy's going to jail, man. He's going to do serious prison time. It's a good thing he knows how to fight. Yeah, pretty well. He's actually out on bail right now. You know what? Can you Maybe... believe they let this guy bail out? Well, why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean... Well, it's it's pretty serious. I think they have pretty good... I mean, Bail uh, is uh, not supposed to be... According to New York law, bail is not punishment. Bail is strictly a bond to ensure that you will return for your trial. Yeah. Um, they, the only people they don't really bail are um, murderer, people suspected of murder, because then there's basically, you know, no sum of money is enough to ensure that the person will return. He definitely wants a lot of money. Uh, he has kids. He has a wife and kids, and that's, oh. God knows, that is not cheap. 31 years old. So he's 31 years old. If he, You know, he could go to prison for a long, long time. He could go to prison for, like, he could easily get 20 to life. Yeah. Did I mean, he like actually have a gun? Because uh, I think if, did, you, if you have a gun, if you don't have a gun, then it's less bad. He certainly claimed to have a gun. Uh, cops were able to, the way they caught him is, uh, and I'll, I'll explain it the way the Post explains it, although he wears gloves for a living, the Bantamweight apparently forgot to put on a pair this time, and cops were able to match fingerprints found at the scene with those taken from him during a 2008 arrest. Oh, Jesus Christ, what a fucking idiot. So he walks in and he leaves his fingerprints around? Mm -hmm. like, do, like what, like leaning on the counter? <laughs> uh, I think it was on the, uh, well, just at the scene, yeah, they probably got them all over the place. He had no gloves on. 31-year-old pugilist pinched Thursday, pleaded not guilty to a felony charge of robbery. How hard would it be to do the robbery and not touch anything? I'm sorry. How hard would it be to... Not do a robbery. To, to not do a robbery, but, you know, like, yeah, to maybe go uh, to a different borough even, maybe. You know what I mean? You might Yeah, even, not that bank right on the corner. Yeah, not your regular bank, which... uh Anyway, so he, uh, it wasn't, he was nowhere to be seen around his building, uh, but they can't, his neighbors, they can't believe that the married dad could be so stupid, it says. Oh, why would anyone rob a bank on the same block they live on and for only 50 grand? He makes more money in a fight. doesn't make sense. I don't think he does. Uh, I'm not so sure about he that. He told Newsday recently he makes only pocket change in the Octagon and said he co-owns a limo company with his family and has worked, uh, you know, any other hustle to make ends meet. Uh, for instance... Uh, he, uh, he 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 took bets on the Conor McGregor fight with uh, with uh, and and took the odds oh. and and he said it was easy money, uh, offered generous odds for a McGregor win. That was a that was a smart move for anybody. You could offer somebody it's a hundred to one, you know what I mean? And people take some of that, well, and you're still. Gonna... <laughs> I mean, look in with hindsight, it's easy to say <laughs> that it, that that would be a smart bet to take, but. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, once you, you know, got some... Beforehand, it would, people were like, well, you know, 100 to 1, come on. You'd have to go and rob a bank to, to, to cover that. Well, this guy spent it uh, on school supplies, some of it, for his kids. Did he? Four days after the robbery, he griped about his money troubles. Just went to Target for some of my kids' school supplies. Walked out $240 closer to poverty. Still missing some items. And that's only school supply, not clothing. Am I being scammed? Clearly, that was because he didn't want people to know he had 45000 extra dollars. 
This That's is actually he, smart. He put this on Facebook. He put it on Facebook. I thought at first, like, oh man, this guy is just like you've got you've got plenty of money right now. You know what I mean? Right. So he's so, going on Facebook like, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really broke. Uh, <laughs> I got no money. Uh, <laughs> look, here's the problem, Pat, is that criminals are usually really stupid. Mm. So this guy just falls into that category. I guess. Well, I mean, it's stupid and careless and uh, and weird looking. It was some gigantic eyebrows. I, feel bad. I mean, this guy's kids. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, He's I assume totally he actually has up. kids. Yeah, so how has he fucked them up? Because they'll grow up without him as a dad, or <laughs> well, you know, maybe, maybe the, he saved them. Maybe his wife will date know. somebody. You know, their, their last memory of their dad is going to be like how they went to Target and he was like buying them school boxes and pens and no complaining about it, even though he had all that bank robbery money. You know, it, it, hey, look, it could have been worse. She could have married War Machine. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Hey, uh, another story here that I wanted to compare the coverage of, of the Daily News and the Post because oh, okay. uh, the story of an out-of-control fight between two junkies, one of whom was armed with a pit bull in a luxury midtown high-rise, made tabloid news last week with the Daily News and the Post, both offering medium-length write-ups of the melee. Needless to say, there were certain differences in the wage paper approach story, and in the interest of possibly learning about the apparent editorial priorities of... The respective tabloids. Let's look at what was written. Okay. Let's uh, start with the headlines. First from the Post, uh, cops, and then the quote, owner ordered Pitbull to pounce. And the Daily News headline is, Pitbull defends strung out owner, bites his foe in fight at Lux Midtown High Rise. Oh, funny. So the Post, so they take different sides. Yes. They... So one's taking one <laughs> I like the idea that the newspapers feel like they have to take sides. Well, the idea is to create, you know, you want to have a good guy and a bad guy, because that's what people like to read about. Yeah. You need a hero and a villain. And so the difference is who they choose for the hero. Well, yeah. The Daily News is so consistent on this, too. They will always pick the wrong thing to, to champion, always, in any situation. Like Eric Garner. Sh- short, of, <laughs> short of, like, a woman being raped or something like that. They're not right. going to be like... They'll, you know, they'll, you know, obviously they're for her, as we all are. Uh, okay, so now the leads. Blood-curdling screams broke out inside a luxury Midtown high-rise Friday morning when a tenant allegedly sicked his pit bull on a neighbor, cops and witnesses said. That's the post. Now the lead from the Daily News. A snarling pit bull came to the defense of his drugged-out owner who was fighting with another junkie Friday morning at a luxury high-rise in Midtown. I'm going to go ahead and fold the next paragraph in with the Daily News. Okay. So this is the Daily News second paragraph. The dog attacked his owner's antagonist and left him with a bunch of bite wounds and scratches on the ninth floor of the Biltmore on West 47th near 8th Avenue just before 9 a.m. See, so what is your take on, on, first of all, you know, the angle of the Daily News? I think you can tell what mine is. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like they're, um, they clearly have a dog in this fight. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, what do you think? <laughs> that very well may be the greatest joke of all time. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, well, the junkies had an argument inside about drugs. Right. And then they were arguing and then the guy goes, get him. So, 
they know this yeah. because they talk to people, but their take on that is the dog is defending its owner. <laughs> right. So I think that they are so, uh, you know, friendly to certain communities, I guess. Yes. It might be, uh, you know, communities who like to own pit bulls. Right. It's, it's their job to make them happy and sell them newspapers, yeah. I guess. So they have to like be saying, oh, he's defending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying the Daily News is being careful not to disparage the demographic of pit bull owners. <laughs> they're, you know, they're English owned, right? You probably... The Daily News? Yeah, they're owned by English people. No, the Post is. I'm pretty sure the, the Daily Post News is... is owned by Mort Zuckerman. I mean, the Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Who is Australian. Australian. Yeah, that's but not Daily, English. No, but the Daily News is owned by Mort Zuckerman. Okay, ownership aside, management or something, that they have be. an English influence. That, that could be. And I think they have an English kind of editorial of, uh, sympathy uh, for the kind of theoretical idealism that just isn't real in the real world at yeah. all. And so I think that that's, they are always trying to empathize with uh, some sort of a downtrodden, uh, right. let's say most pit bulls are owned by people who are, you know, poor. Okay. Uh, and That's uh, one way to put it. <laughs> you know, so they find themselves in defense of the pit bull. Yes. Also, you know, the, the you get the feeling that they would let pit bulls vote if they could. You know, what I mean, like this don't—they they have no sense of reality. Okay. So, and 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 similar, you know, with with women, similar with minorities. Yes. That's what I found to be true. They would even let them vote. <laughs> right. They there was an article about a a, a trans person who was in court oh. uh, for uh, or you know, and and the way they sort of told this story about you know what happened in this grocery store before right. this stabbing and blah blah blah. It was just so. Look, I mean, you can tell when something is painted over, you yes, know, and left yes. out. So uh, let's just let's, I, I, we'll analyze a little bit more of the coverage and see if uh, if if you and, and no, if people I, agree. I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I said, yeah, they're trying to yeah. soft pedal the uh, the demographic that stereotypically owns. Um, so uh, I'm going to read the rest of the post story here. I said, uh, when the cops came, they found two men fighting on the hallway floor, stemming from an argument over drugs, both appearing to be heavily drugged. I heard a blood-curdling scream, really high-pitched, said Benjamin Steuben, 37, who lives in the building. The screaming went on for maybe two minutes. I heard it when I was coming down the elevator. Two minutes is a long time to blood-curdling scream. Yeah. The 27-year-old victim was bitten by the dog multiple times, according to the cops at the scene, and the pooch's 34-year-old owner wasn't hurt. It was chaos, so much chaos, said Steuben. Uh, Sean Uliberry watched the vicious attack unfold from his apartment peephole. He was saying, sick him, sick him, get him, said uh, Uliberry, 50. The dog attacked the guy. He was growling and shaking his head back and forth the way dogs do. The guy getting attacked by the dog screamed, call the police, call the police. Comps said the dog's owner lives in the $134 million 51-story building, which has a mix of low to moderate income housing and market rate apartments. Uli Barry said interesting characters come in and out of the dog owner's apartment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They were kind of belligerent because I think they were high or something. The one guy said, oh, you're going to kill my dog? And then he says, I'm going to sick my dog on you. Then there was like blood and puke all on my door. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Another witness said he saw the dog take a chomp out of the victim's private parts. The dog went and grabbed him and pulled him down. See, that's the problem. This is um, this guy brought genitals to a dog fight. 
this is what this is um this is mandatory inclusionary housing for you. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> this could be happening in a high rise. It could be happening in you know uh, some tenement somewhere. What's the difference? I mean, right, do you think but, that it happens as a result of it? Oh, except these people have to put up with it. Kind of. Tolerate yeah. it, yeah. Well, cops uh, tranquilized the dog. They removed it in a large crate with a blue blanket draped over the top. According to police, it was taken to the ASPCA, though it's unclear what will happen to it. Both men were hauled out of the building by cops, a victim uh, trapped, uh, strapped to a gurney uh, with a bloody uh, right arm. Bloody right arm. They were taken into custody, sent to Bellevue for injuries and evaluations. Both are expected to be hit with drug charges. And uh, they mentioned at the very last paragraph, the Biltmore was formerly home to actress Amanda Bynes, who was busted in 2013 oh. after tossing a bong out of her 34th Street apartment. I remember that. Okay. So um, that seems to me, that's the way I like to read shit. Fun to building. Fun building. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Daily News, I'm just going to hit highlights here, the stuff sure, that, that sure, kind of sure. irritates me. Now, the, the canine's owner argued bitterly. Uh, Argued bitterly with a 27-year-old man at the Ritzy building, and then they and then they got physical before the dog jumped into the fray. Now that's that's different. Right. The combatants <laughs> trashed apartment 9J, and and the bitten man left smears of blood on the apartment floor, on the outside of a closet, and on the walls of the hallway, five feet off the floor. So that's a little victim blaming, I think. Uh, I would say. Yeah, I mean, like the bitten man left the smears man. of blood. <laughs> I okay. mean, yeah, the dog uh, is the one who broke his skin. You're aware of that. So belts were strewn across the floor. Uh, I guess that implies uh, heroin usage or something. Or Could shooting, be. shooting drugs, maybe, Could whatever. Be. Although this doesn't seem like some heroin people do. Belts were strewn across the floor on an overturned painting by the front door. had blood stains on it. I heard a man screaming, screaming so bad I thought he was mentally ill. That's di- huh? that's certainly a different take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because it's mentally ill people to... St- um, the people that they interviewed have a strange frame of reference. Uh, I heard someone screaming so loud, I thought he was mentally ill. <laughs> Which is very, like, uh, it's a I slur mean, I guess almost. If you'd I spent mean. a lot of time on a psych ward, maybe that would be your first. <laughs> you know that certain kind of sound. Weird story. The woman said she's noticed the pit bull before the mauling. He's aggressive, she said. When he's waiting for the elevator, I go back in my apartment, as if to say... That's what this guy should have done. Yeah. I remember hearing loud screams. I reported that dog when they moved in. Pit bulls are just killing machines. They're not animals. They need to be muzzled. Uh, Walsh is longer. Uh, David Cohen said Walsh uh, and the dog were close. So how do you feel about pit bulls? Well, I just think that they... Uh, I'm Look, I'm sure that any animal of any breed, uh, dog-wise, could be a great dog. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, I've never owned one. So uh, I understand that they're pretty smart, pretty loyal. They're able to, uh, you know, I mean, I just know the facts, really. Yeah. When I see a pit bull, I avoid it. I don't right. I don't feel comfortable like some people do with just going up and just being, hey, buddy, you know, and I, right. the risk involved with that far outweighs the reward. Now, um, my wife, when, when I met her, had a pit bull. Oh. And it was a gigantic pit bull. Yeah. The thing weighed, it, it was over 100 pounds, 140-pound dog. What? Maybe. And uh, vicious, like it had nipped at people before and had bitten oh, people a little bit. <laughs> great. It's like, wow. One time it picked up a dog in some kind of an animal treat store kind of place Yeah. and, and just shook it. Oh, my dog God. Dog didn't die. Uh, you know, another time her neighbor went to pet the dog or went to pet the other dog. There was two dogs. So she was going to pet uh, the smaller dog that, that Mandy for some reason had in her 
fucking studio apartment. She had two dogs in, in, in your apartment? Yes. Before I came along. And where are the dogs now? Well, one of them's in Brooklyn. Okay. And he's been adopted to a family who have renamed him from Trip to Don Pablo. All right. And he belongs basically to the child. And the other one's in heaven. Which one is um, in heaven? The, the pit bull. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, she eventually had to put him down for being violent. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, because there was no place that would take him with his history. Right. It would be irresponsible to say he didn't have that history. And she had adopted him when he was about to be put down anyway. Oh. So bought him two extra years. Oh, that was nice. She was very, very loving to the dog. Okay. And then it came to be time where, you know what? Um, I can't afford the liability here. Yes. I'm going to get sued. Yes. I'm not a responsible dog owner at this right, point. Right. And, and something needs to happen. So that was the way, uh, that was the way it ended for him. Um, I and I had nothing to do with it. Which was more expensive? Like how much the dog ate or your cigarette habit? Oh man, if the dog ate, uh, it have to be my cigarettes. I mean, didn't don't dogs that size just eat a huge amount of food? But not of cigarettes, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Although this particular dog did smoke once in a while. Oh, okay. Just, just a cigar out on the stoop. Like, 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 oh, like like in those pictures. <laughs> just when it played poker. Yeah, just at the card table, yeah. Um, my wife also loves pit bulls. Does she? She adores them. Oh man, I don't get it. Pit bulls in particular. Pitbulls and Rottweilers, but yeah, like she's there's this pit bull that she well, that she just loves. I mean, she would have one, except our building doesn't allow um, pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you uh, no. consent? No, no, I don't really. I don't really like. I mean, I like dogs; they're okay. I don't understand why you want any naked animal that doesn't wipe its ass living in your house. <laughs> And that is most animals. That is most animals. Let me just tell you um, one interesting uh, factoid that I learned from someone who I guess had been in the, um, the, the Royal SAS, like the Special Air Service, um, kind of the equivalent of like the SEALs here or whatever. Mm. Um, if a dog attacks you. I think I know. What? What you do. What do you, what, what do, you do? Well, I think that you, you take your finger and you stick it right in his ass. Oh, Really? How come? Because it shows them who's boss. It oh. makes them let go. They relinquish their ma- their biting because they're like, "Fuck, something's in my ass." Oh, I never heard that. Well, um, what this guy said to now do- wait. If you've never, if that's not what you, <laughs> it's possible <laughs> that this could be a circulated rumor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By gay pit bulls. Could be. You know. Oh, I see. Trying to get try <laughs> to get action. <laughs> Um, no, but apparently one thing you can do, to the one way to kill a dog very quickly, if you can do it. Kill it. To kill it. Okay. Is to grab its um, f- its forelegs and kind of wrench them apart because a dog's legs don't have the same kind of range of motion that our arms do, that our arms do, where we can, like, it just goes back and forth, back and forth. So oh. if you pull them apart, it'll essentially split the um, the dog's sternum, and uh, just like his heart will just you know. At any rate, he, yeah, he's going to be a biped there, you know, right. if nothing else. Right, man, that is a great thing to know. That's so much cleaner too than sticking your than the ass in thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do that once he's down <laughs> <laughs> if you feel like it. Wow, uh, that that is something else. Can okay, you imagine so, 
just split it apart. I just, mean, like that's good to know because because th- if you think about it, their their shoulders or whatever it is, they just don't rotate that way. Yeah, you never see them throw a ball or anything. No, 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 not at all. Their their arm their their foreleg is that what you call it? Their forelegs. Yeah, their forelegs. Their foreleg. Not their four they're, legs. They're two four yeah, legs. They're, they're, they're front legs. They're front. Le- yeah. So you just grab them by the paws and sort of rip them apart. Jesus, just just as simple as that. Well, it's well. You said not- if you, you said if you can, you know. But it seems as if like if a dog's like eating your throat, you'd be in the perfect position for that. And then it's just kind of a race against time. Yeah. Man, those things are tough. They've got a lot of biting strength. And uh, it, when you look at the list of the most dangerous dogs, or the pit bulls are always on it. Yeah. Rottweilers are always on it. Yeah. And then they have sometimes, and I think this comes from, you know, the dog lovers, a lot of breeds you've never heard of, you know, um, that, that I've never heard of anyway. I don't know how much, how up you are on your dogs. But I, I mean, like, I, I remember thinking, like, I've never heard of that. And, 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 uh, like a, like a presa canary. Like just some kind of like one of these massive. Yeah, it looks like a big fucking mutt. Yeah, and then it has like a name, and it was right. the number one most dangerous dog. Okay, I think I went over these one time, so I don't want to. I don't want to repeat that, but Fine. I mean, like it was certainly odd. Fine. Well, I mean, plus it's like we we've been here for a while, and I wanted to cover this one other thing if I can get to it. But I sure. think we pretty much covered those dogs, didn't we? I think yeah. that's that's pretty well done. Well, no, this other's that that's kind of long. Uh, so how about this? This is from today's New York Post. Oh my goodness! You're not going to believe what happened at Newark Airport. You know Newark Airport is—it's uh, <coughs> not as bad as LaGuardia in a way. A I love further La- away. I love LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Why is that? Why would you love? Because it's so easy to get there. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It is easy it's to get there. It's really easy to get there, and then it's not that big. I just, I take the bus there or the subway to the bus, and it's just like, oh, this right. was. It's just you, like you, you get on the E to uh, Roosevelt. Yeah, and then you get on the bus. It's right there. Yeah, sit there. It doesn't take the make Q, take the Q thirty five to the uh, thing. Q forty seven. It's forty seven. I thought it was the Q thirty five. And then you can also there. take the Q sixty there too. Yeah. Now, a Prime Flight employee was critically injured early Saturday when she was struck in the head. By a fucking spinning airplane propeller Uh-oh. at Newark Liberty International, a 54-year-old woman from Orange, New Jersey, whacked by the whirling blade of a commute airplane opposite the Terminal A maintenance area, et cetera, et cetera. Commute Air is a partner of United Express, which operates short regional flights, and our thoughts and prayers are with her that's and her family kind of, and colleagues. This that's is, the kind of accident that sort of <laughs> went out with the jet age. Who would have thought, right? These, what's the smallest plane you've ever been on, passenger-wise? You know, I mean, like oh, not that, not n- nothing too small. I've I mean, been on some really small planes. I mean, like uh, like to get up to the Upper Peninsula, like to... eight and people oh, and shit really? like that, like where it's on only one like row down. You know, yeah. where you, where where you the kind of plane where you get on and you go like, can I get upgraded to first class? As a joke, uh, it it just it's it's terrifying in a way because I mean they they really do don't they don't have the stability or whatever I wrote on I was on Ron White's jet and that was uh, that I guess that held fewer people I think it held four people wow but it was a jet and you got to figure a guy you know like these captains they have to be on call if you, if that when you own a jet you have a captain who's on call like a pilot okay and and like anytime you want to go anywhere you just go hey I want to go to wherever gas up the jet. And the guy gasses up the jet, and you go there. Great. That's fucking. 
Sounds very extremely, expensive. extremely wasteful. Yeah. Well, that's why there's fractional jet ownership. Yes. That's a smarter way to do it. Well, there's many, many smarter ways to do it. I would <laughs> yeah. think, but fractional, you could lease it. You know, you could just lease the jet. Who, who's Ron White? I'm sorry, I'm. Ron White is a comedian who was uh, part of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, and he's oh. been doing comedy for a long, long time before that. But that's what broke him was uh, sort of going into that. And, then, and since then, he's retained his popularity, but separate from those guys. Oh, by broke him, you mean it... It didn't, <laughs> didn't break him, like ruin him. Oh, okay. It broke him big. He broke. He got, uh, got popular, it. yeah. Got it. In fact, I opened for him a few times, and he would have, you know, like these crowds, like 4,000 people and stuff like that. I opened for him in, in Cable Guy one time, 17,000 people in the audience. Wow. By the way, if you want to see a real show, Hillary Clinton is on tour. I heard about that. Promoting her book. Her book, What Happened? <laughs> Did you hear Donald Trump is writing a book? Yeah. I Happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what happened. It's over, you know? That's what I like to say. I mean, like, she, uh, well. Be blissful. It's beautiful. The, the important thing is she's closing with Whip and Post on this tour. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, there was a stabbing uh, on the C train by uh, this kooky fellow right here. This is one of those dream New York Post covers because it's just like what people what makes people buy papers. I guess they're on their way to the subway and uh, they need to know, you know, the details of a story with a headline like "Off the Rails: Wild Man Stabs Rider on Train." New Yorkers come to rescue and look at the photos. Yeah, it's boy, just. They, they... <laughs> That's like their dream come true. They it got is. it. So we'll have that story and others, you know, on an upcoming episode. Oh, great. And yeah, so uh, check it out. Uh, the, uh, I'll post that on Instagram. You should follow me there, Pat Dixon NYC, uh, on Instagram, uh, and Pat Dixon on Twitter. And if you want to read some really great stuff, Seth Barron here. He's way too modest to say it himself, but uh, city-journal.org. I, I enjoy it all the time. I tweet it as well. And you can follow him on Twitter, too. NYC Council Watch. Thank you, Seth Barrett. Thanks, Pat. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. I got a lot of salt in my stick. Is it over? Find out how to get extra content and bonus material from this and other shows. Go to patreon.com slash pattixonnyc. Check it out. Support New York City Crime Report. Go to patreon.com slash pattixonnyc.